beautiful, beautiful star, star of Bethlehem, us until the glory dawn. Light to light the way into the land of perfect day, star of Bethlehem, shine Isaiah chapter 9, everybody good and warm? Yes. Appreciate uh, Vance's AC service, getting our new heater system installed, so hopefully you're plenty warm. Uh, I came up, when I got up here this morning, it was set on 68, I said, let's bump it up to 69, and then Vance got here and said, let's bump it up to 70. What are we at? It's at now. 70. About 70? All right. So it's doing good, and, and uh, the fact that you took the time to do that in the midst of what you're going through in your family, we... Appreciate you, brother, and uh, we're praying for you and your family, and uh, if you didn't know, he had a cousin that passed away tragically this past week, so please keep them in your prayers. Some of you knew Shad, uh, so uh, keep the family of Shad more in your prayers. Uh, as we get to this Christmas time uh, of year, you know, one of the things I really enjoy about Christmas time are Christmas lights. I don't know about you, I can't wait. Uh, to get those Christmas lights up on the house. When I was a kid, that was my job. Is uh, was once once my brothers had moved out of the house and they they were gone by the time I was in fifth grade. It was my sole job. I was in charge of getting the lights on the outside of the house, and I took great joy in doing that. And so I I loved looking at Christmas lights. I like looking at them decorating homes, trees, streets, and even the ones that people put on their cars. And I thought about trying to get 
do that ourselves, put some Christmas lights on our cars. I just think they're so pretty. They're as much a part of Christmas to me as that uh, good yummy food that we have, the family gatherings, and even the exchanging gifts. If we don't have Christmas lights, it just doesn't really feel like that Christmas time of year. I, I don't know how you feel about Christmas lights. Uh, I grew up in the Dallas area, about 20, uh, 30 miles outside of Dallas, and uh, it was a big thing. We would go in, we'd take a car trip into Dallas during that time of year, and we'd find they had these huge neighborhoods uh, in different parts of Dallas, and they still have them, where they would decorate all, all of the houses with pretty lights. And boy, there'd be a long line of cars trying to get through those those neighborhoods. In fact, a lot of times we would just park and walk through the neighborhoods. And uh, that was a, always a good, uh, fun outing to go and look at Christmas lights. Just so many different ways that people uh, decorate with Christmas lights. It's always so much fun. We had a chance to go over to Lake Tejas and look at their lights. And this week we'll go over to Jasper and see the Christmas lights over there at the Sandy Creek Park. I can't speak for you, but Christmas lights kind of put me in a good mood. Maybe it's because this time of year, the days are shorter and it gets dark sooner. And so having that, that extra light on houses, uh, it just kind of helps brighten things up. Because I, you know, the shorter days kind of have an effect on me. I'm kind of like, I'm a little gloomy. I don't know about you, I'm a little gloomy because the days are shorter. There's less time to, to play outside, if you will. I'm just curious, how many of you have Christmas lights? Just show of hands. How many of you have Christmas lights on the outside of your hand? Those of you are on the outside of your house. Well, good, good. Those that don't, we're going to pray for you. I'm just curious about your Christmas spirit. I'm wondering, if you don't have Christmas lights, how many times a day do you say ball humbug? No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't say that you're Ebenezer Scrooge if you don't have Christmas lights. Kenneth said that. I didn't say that. But... Uh, no, I, those of you who have the lights on your house, how many of you had them up in November? That's what we did. The day, or two days after Thanksgiving, we had them up on the house. We were ready to go. That's right. How many of you that have them up on your house have had them up since last year? You just never took them down. Hey, you know, if you've got a lack of storage, I don't think there's anything wrong. Just leave them up so you don't have to store them, right? I mean, that's just, that's good time management, probably. It's not just Christmas lights, though. For most of the world, light is preferred to darkness. I say most because there are those that, you know, they prefer the darkness. Maybe it's because, again, because winter is upon us and the days are shorter, it gets dark earlier. Light brings a little joy in what could be perhaps a sad time. Psychologically speaking, we need light. Humanity needs light. Without it, most humans go into a state of depression. In Alaska, where they experience days of darkness during their winters, utterly there's no sun at all, they buy and use what is called a sad light. Now, sad is not because people are sad, but sad is an acronym that stands for Seasonal Affective Disorder. And because of the lack of sunlight, it's been shown, it's been, been uh, uh, psychologically shown that people go into a state of depression when there is less light, when there is less sunlight. And so humanity needs light. Even here in southeast Texas, it, it occurs because of the solar cycles, again, because of, of the shorter days and how it gets dark earlier. You know, for many, this time of year also is, is sad, not just because of the shorter days or the lack of light, but because, you know, this is a time of year where families are gathering and they're missing some part of their family. And this can be a very sad time of year for many people. 
In the same way, the world was experiencing a type of darkness when Jesus was birthed into this world. It had been roughly 400 years since God had last spoken through a prophet, and that prophet was Malachi. From Malachi until John the Baptist, there had not been a fresh word from the Lord through a spoken prophet. Some refer to this as the silent years. And this doesn't mean that God was not at work. I believe He was at work in much of the world, working things out. During this 400 years, you saw a huge shift in the empires from the east to the west. The Medo-Persian Empire had come to an end, and what replaced it but a western empire known as the Greece Empire, the Grecian Empire, led by a guy named Alexander. Some call him the Great. I'll just call him Alexander. What, one of the things that Alexander did was, is he, as he took over cultures, he would often take that culture and kind of translate it into the Greek culture. And what he did with the Israelites' culture is he took their Bible and he translated it into the Greek language. I talked a little bit about this last week, but this was called the Septuagint. So he took the Hebrew Bible and he took it from a language that was actually dying out at that point anyway, because the Israelites kept getting exiled to different countries and being dispersed. And so their language was kind of falling away anyway, and he took it, he turned it into this language that eventually would become so widespread. Greece, uh, Greek was one of the most widespread languages at one time. In fact, a lot like English is today, that's how Greek was then. And he took the Hebrew Bible and he translated into that. I, I see God's hand all over that. You may say, well, how widespread was it? When Jesus quoted from the Old Testament in the New Testament, he was actually quoting from the Septuagint. He wasn't quoting from the Hebrew Masoretic text. They didn't have any at that time. And so God was really much at work during that 400 years, but he wasn't speaking through a prophet. And so because of that, they call it the silent years. And because of that, it was really kind of a time of darkness as well, as these other empires were ruling over God's people. Anytime the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament, it's quoted from the Septuagint showing that God was using even this time of darkness to prepare something that was on the way. What gave way from the Greece Empire was the Roman Empire, which would eventually take hold of Israel and much of the world. And again, a more of a Western spread of civilization, uh, control, people, empires going further west. I believe this was setting up for God's eventual spread of the gospel, for it to go to the West. I see God's sovereignty all over this as well. But this was also a period of great darkness, again, because of the lack of spiritual influence on God's people. This was the time period that two political and spiritual groups took hold of Israel. We know them as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There was also a group called the Zealots. So there really, there was three groups, but really we only generally think about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And while they were supposed to be kind of a, a religious leadership group for the Israelites to help them relate back to their, their, uh, their what we call the Old Testament, what they call their Judaism, their faith, what they ended up doing was really is, is they started establishing uh, further guidelines to God's law. They would come out with these writings called the Talmud that would say, well, listen, you have heard it said, uh, you know, you need to keep the Sabbath holy. We're telling you if your donkey falls in a hole, you can't get it out of that hole. You're just going to have to let it die. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. 
fact, Jesus, really, when he shows up on the scene, what does he do? Is he confronts a lot of what the Pharisees had been teaching them. In fact, this is what Jesus said about their legalistic standard of righteousness. Uh, a lot of this is Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Not only were they not teaching God's word, but they were making it impossible for them to attain salvation. Verses 27 through 28, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Luke 11, verse 45 uh, 46, he says, Woe to you, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Spiritual servants are supposed to serve the people and, and, and help them in their relationship with the Lord. That's not what they were doing. Instead, they were making it harder for them to know the Lord, harder to attain salvation, harder to carry on in life. It's fair to say that Jesus spent much of his time while he was on earth, warning the Pharisees of their own spiritual darkness. And this is the darkness that I refer to. During that 400 years between Malachi and when John the Baptist and Jesus show up on the scene, that darkness is a spiritual darkness. It's not a literal darkness. It's a spiritual darkness. Now, some say that spiritual darkness or evil doesn't really exist, that it is instead the absence of the opposite. So darkness doesn't exist. It is simply the absence of light. And evil does not exist, it is simply the absence of God. I don't really believe in that. I believe in the omnipresence of God. I believe that He's in all places at all times. I believe that spiritual darkness or evil is just man's attempt to dethrone God. That spiritual darkness is when man says, thanks God, I, I got this, I'm just going to go my own direction for a while. And in fact, the spiritual darkness and evil is just man's perversion of God's creation. That's spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness or evil occurs because man determines they can live apart from God and they do not need his influence on their life. And this was an issue not just during 400 years between Malachi and Jesus. This is an issue all throughout man's history. From the moment of creation, man was trying to say, thanks God, I got this. So what does this have to do with Christmas lights, you may be saying? Me asking the question, where are your Christmas lights? Well, man was in darkness, and God sent the ultimate Christmas light in Jesus Christ, which brings me to our scripture. If you will, look at Isaiah chapter 9. I'm just going to read verse 9 and verse 6 for right now. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And then just go down to verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its impact and influence, not only on us, but on man and on history. And Father, we pray that it would impact us this morning, that you would grow each and every one of us. Change us from the inside out. It's your name we pray, Lord. Amen. 
Now, I'm not skipping verse 3 through 5. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But most of us recognize verse 6. We've probably sent a Christmas card or received a Christmas card with verse 6 onto it, right? With verse 6 on it. For unto us a child is born. Perhaps, uh, perhaps you have sung in a Christmas choir concert that had Handel's Hallelujah Chorus or the Messiah, right? That uh, Hallelujah, right? And for unto us a child is born. That whole thing, that, that's, that comes from, you know, Handel didn't write that. God wrote that through the prophet Isaiah uh, five, six, seven hundred years before Jesus even showed up on the scene. Of course, just as I said last Sunday, we need to be thankful that we live on this side of Jesus because then we read verse 6 and we're like, okay, it's talking about Jesus. Not a problem. We understand that. When, it, when the Bible says there's going to be a virgin who's going to give birth to a child and he will be called Emmanuel, we're like, yeah, because I live on this side of Jesus, got no problem with that verse. But think about those who were living on the other side of Jesus and they read this and they're like, okay, what's a child going to do for us? What is a son given to us supposed to mean? In fact, it was several years later after this had already been translated into Greek by Alexander the Great before the Hebrew religious leaders began to realize what this was really talking about was a coming uh, a Messiah. And so as we read through this, you may be saying, well, okay, verse 2, um, what, what, are we, what are we talking about, this light? Well, if verse 6 is a, a, a verse attributed to Jesus, then we can assume the same thing about verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The child that was to be born was a great light for those in spiritual darkness, those living in the shadow of death. The child was the light of God and the light of salvation for mankind. So was Jesus the light is the first question I would ask. Absolutely. Our best evidence is Scripture. Throughout New Testament, Jesus is called the light. John 8, 12. Jesus makes the proclamation himself. I am the light of the world. But then you also see scriptures like Luke chapter 2, verse 30 and 31. When Jesus was just old enough to be circumcised, his parents took him to be circumcised, so about eight days old. And then they took him to see this guy named Simeon, who had been promised that he would not see, see death until he got to see the Savior, the Messiah, face to face. Simeon, that's his name. And in this meeting, face to face, yeah, now you got it, uh, Sorry, it was a little thing between Micah and, and, and the kids and I about uh, who that guy's name was. Anyway, so uh, when he sees Jesus face to face, he says some wonderful things. But here's what he says in verse 31 specifically about, uh, about Jesus. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. I want to talk about that in just a second. And then John 1, 7, 8, speaking of the relationship between John the Baptist, it says that John the Baptist came to be a witness to the light. He was not the light, but he was to testify to the light. Well, who did John the Baptist testify about? He testified about Jesus Christ. So, yes, Jesus is this light. Revelation 21 through 23, it says that the city is not going to need a sun or a moon, the city of heaven. Heaven is not going to need anything to light it up because it will have the light of God and the Lamb will be the lamp. The Lamb is Jesus Christ. There are a great many verses who refer to Jesus as being this light, being the light sent from God, being the light of the world, being the light to shine in the darkness and to draw men out of their darkness or out of their sin. 
We also claim scriptural evidence in the Old Testament because just like verse 2 we know is a, uh, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, verse 6 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, there are over 300 Old Testament prophecies that point to a coming Messiah. There's only one person who ever fulfilled those prophecies, and it was Jesus Christ. So if verse 2 is a prophecy pointing to the Messiah, and Jesus Christ is that Messiah, and He is that light. So we, we claim this, this scriptural evidence that He is indeed this coming light, this light to light the world. We've been going through the Gospel of John on Sunday nights, talking about the religious leaders rejecting Jesus as the Son of God. And the rejection had nothing to do with misunderstanding or a lack of evidence. They knew exactly who Jesus was, but they willfully denied who He was. They willfully chose not to believe, to reject Jesus. You know, it's kind of like this. Sometimes when I get up at night and I've got to go to the, the bathroom, I think to myself, well, I've been living in this house for four years, and I know the layout pretty good. I don't need a light. And so I get up, and I try to make my way, and as sure as I don't, what do I do? Oh, man, I whack my knee on the bed. I trip over something that was in the floor that I didn't know was there. And then before you know it, everybody's awake, or at least my wife is like, are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. I'm sorry. Making all kinds of noise. Listen. I know I need a light, but I willfully choose to find my own way in the darkness. We don't need that. We need the light of Jesus Christ. But what does it mean to say that Jesus is the light? Is He some kind of spiritual nightlight? Is that what I'm saying? Is He, is he there to keep us from spiritually stubbing our toes? I don't even know what that means, by the way. I was thinking about that. What, what would be the, what would be the, uh, the, 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 uh, what would be spiritually stubbing your toes? I, <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking about that. It's a spiritual stubbing of the toe. Uh, anyway, the, I don't know what the equivalent of spiritually stubbing your toe is, but it would probably be bad. But what I'm saying is, he's not a, he's not just a spiritual nightlight. That, that's not what Jesus is. He didn't come just to make my life better or easier. We sell this to people because we don't know what else to say about our life in Christ, that Christ is our light. What do we mean by that? He just makes our life better? He just lights the way so we know what direct? Is that all we mean when we say that Jesus was this light? Well, looking back, when we say Jesus is this light, what do we mean? Looking back at that scripture in Luke chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but let me just talk about that for a second. Simeon, saying that Jesus was the light of revelation to the Gentiles. Are you a Jew? Anybody here a Jew? I don't see any hands. Okay. If you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. And that Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles means that through Jesus, God was revealed to us Gentiles. Had it not been for Jesus coming, we don't really know if there would ever been any kind of revelation. We don't have to wonder about it because Jesus came and He was a light of revelation to the Gentiles. You see, Jesus coming to this earth is a revelation to us non-Jews of God and His willingness to save all those who believe in Him. After all, part of Jesus being the light is that He reveals God. Nothing else has ever revealed God to humanity like Jesus Christ. Religion doesn't do it. 
Spiritual practices do not do it. But Jesus Christ reveals who God is all the time. But is this all that Jesus being the light means? I don't think so. Jesus' birth on the scene is like a, a shot of lightning in the darkness of night. It's a jolt of energy flooding our lives. It's rocked the darkness of this world. The light of Jesus was not a calm, dim light slowly turned on by a fader switch. The light of Jesus Christ was like a spiritual bomb going off. The birth of Jesus Christ was a declaration of war. War on darkness. War on sin. War on death. This was not a sweet little innocent light. This was the mother of all bombs going off in this world. Why do I say that? Well, look back at Isaiah chapter 9, and let's read verse 3 through 5. This is what Isaiah says. He says, You've multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. All right, so there's great rejoicing because this light has showed up, and this light has shown up in the, the people that were sitting in darkness. That's good. We understand that. Then he goes on. Here's why he's really rejoicing. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. So there's been some conflict that caused them to be freed from whoever it was oppressing them. Then you read verse 5. For every warrior's sandal, some of your versions will actually say boot, and that's a fine translation. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Now listen, some of you have sent a Christmas card with verse 6 on, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Merry Christmas. But I doubt any of you had verse 5 on there. And the warrior's boots and garments will be rolled in blood, and they will be fuel for the fire. Merry Christmas to Givens. Listen, this is a declaration of war. Bloodshed is coming. War is coming, and it's coming in the form of a child who will free us from the oppressor. And it's not a governmental oppressor. It is the spiritual oppression that we have. Men in darkness of sin. And that sin was caught off guard by a sin-seeking missile called Jesus Christ, born in a manger in Bethlehem. That sweet little baby in a manger was a weapon of mass destruction. The first and final shot fired against the darkness of sin and death. And he has the victory, and you and I can have that victory too when we place our faith, when we surrender to Him as Lord and Savior. And so when I ask this question, where are your Christmas lights? You know, listen, I'm not, really, I'm not really teasing you about not having Christmas lights on your house. That's really the, the least important thing I could think of about this Christmas season. Here's what I mean, and really I have two things in mind when I ask, where are your Christmas lights? The first one is this, do you have the light of Jesus Christ in your life? The most important question I could ever ask you is, do you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You see, you have the light of Jesus Christ in your life when you surrender to Him as Lord and Savior. A lot of people like to say when you receive Him as Lord and Savior. Listen, if He's a bomb going off in the world, then I surrender. I don't want to try to do war with Him at all. 
I release myself of any thought that I could ever save myself. And I give myself completely and totally over to Him. If you are lost, then you are blinded by the darkness of your very own sin. Blinded by the darkness to who Jesus Christ and the light of Jesus Christ. Your sin keeps you from seeing this blast of light. As verse 2 states, they sit and they dwell in darkness, in the shadow of death. But Jesus came to give light to our blindness. He states in John chapter 12, verse 36, a verse we're going to be looking at tonight as well. He says, while you have this light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. First John, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, he says, This is the message we heard from Jesus, and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Verse 7, he says, But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So just to combine these two different verses from two different books, both written by the Apostle John, these two thoughts written, if you want to be sons of the light of God, if you want the light of Jesus Christ in your light, then you must confess Him as Lord and Savior. You must believe in Him as the light of the world, as the Lord and Savior of the world, and you must surrender to Him that your sins will be cleansed by His blood. If Jesus is not your Savior, then there is no light in you. At all, period. And the answer to where are your Christmas lights is this. You don't have any. You don't have any. And listen, this world is big on trying to shine a light without this surrendering to Jesus as Savior and Lord. We think that we can do it by our religious practices, by attending church, by doing good works, trying to understand and have a knowledge of God without believing in Him doing all kinds of good works. We use a phrase right now in, 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 our, in our society, it's called pay it forward. Listen, I like pay it forward. I think it's kind, it's beautiful. The world would be a better place if we were all a little kinder. You know, when I'm sitting in that fast food uh, uh, service line and the person in front of me pays for my meal, and you know, all, all they say is pay it forward, I'm so thankful. One of these days, I might get it, but you just keep on paying for my meal. Right? I'm just kidding, right? But, you know, <laughs> I'll, keep pay, I'll just keep taking that free meal and not ever pay it forward. No, that's not what I'm saying. Listen, as good as pay it forward is, that kindness will fade when time comes to an end and everyone who paid it forward is left trying to pay for their own sins. Good works will not light your lamp. Church attendance will not light your lamp. Knowledge about God will not light your lamp. You must believe in the light. You must be born again. There is so much warning in God's word about those who come before God at that last moment in the time of judgment and they lay before God and say, look at all these good things we have done in your name. And God says, depart from me, I never knew you. Meaning, they had never truly surrendered to him as Lord and Savior. God is not revealed in religion. God is not revealed in good acts and works. God is revealed in His Word and in His Son, and He reveals Himself to humanity and calls us into a relationship of mercy, grace, forgiveness, and light. You know, what do you do with the light when you're in a, a really dark place? Don't you try to get it as high as possible to light as much as you possibly can? I think it no coincidence, Jesus being the light of the world, and they raised him up on that cross. And he says, if I be raised up, I will draw men unto myself. 
the light of the world, raised up high, revealing what light and darkness looks like. And then he does something amazing. God does something, I mean, he's already done something amazing. He does something else amazing. He then calls us to do the same thing. And this is the second thing I want to know when I ask that question, where are your Christmas lights? You see, we are meant to be his little lights. We are, we're not just meant to have our lights and say, well, I've got my light. I don't know about you. But we are meant to shine the light of Jesus Christ for the world. Through abiding in him, through spending time in prayer and word, we grow and we get that light shining brighter and brighter. Through doing works in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, Notice, I don't say just doing good works, but doing good works in His name shines the light bright for Jesus Christ. And here's what, what Jesus said. He says, if you will not hide the light, but that you let it shine for God's glory, then mankind will also glorify God. And there is nothing greater for us to glorify than Christ. You know, I really wanted to spend some time considering the names of God that we're given there in verse 6, that He's a wonderful counselor, that he is a mighty God, that he's an everlasting father, that he's a prince of peace. Maybe I'll just save that for next week. But I want you to consider the names that he has given. Is there anyone better for us to glorify? Is there anyone better for us to live our life, shining our light for, than Jesus Christ? I say no, absolutely not. What do you say? You're awfully quiet, church. Well, now what? Well, I want to just give you some thoughts on how we can shine our lights for Jesus, keep our light from being dim, real quick. Because while doing good works can shine our light for Christ, doing bad works can dim that light for Him as well. You know, I want to encourage you to be countercultural. What does that mean? The world will often tell us that we need to go one direction, and God is telling us to go the opposite. I want to encourage you. To be a light for Jesus Christ means going the opposite of what the world is telling you. Right now, one of the really popular statements for this world is, oh, just follow your heart. Just do what feels good. I want to tell you to go home and look at your heart and say, shut up, heart. I'm not doing what you tell me. I'm going to be what, doing what God tells me to do. I'm going to be doing what the Word tells me to do, right? I, I want you to put yourself out there. You know, it's real tempting to just kind of hide in our house and keep to ourselves and not share what Christ has done for us. I want to I encourage you, this Christmas season, take some risks for the glory of God. Do some things that put yourself out of your comfort zone. Go and greet that neighbor that maybe has been rude to you for years and years. Kids, uh, as you sit in school and you see that little kid that's all by himself, he doesn't have any friends, Put yourself out there. Take a risk and go and greet them in the name of Jesus. Now, don't go up to them and say, in the name of Jesus, I want to say hello to you. I mean, unless the Lord moves you to do that, go ahead. But I want to encourage you to put yourself out there. Take risks for the glory of God. I want to encourage you to always point back to the light source. When good things happen, when good things happen to you, point it back to Jesus Christ. You, make, may, you may make some wonderful pieces of furniture and somebody's going to say, you're so crafted. And you may want to say, yes, I am, just like my dad. No. Point it back to Jesus Christ. Whatever you're good at and whatever people compliment you on, point it back to Jesus. Yes, you had to be a willing vessel for God to use, but even that in and of itself is a gift from the light of life, Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you this Christmas season to watch your tongue. I don't think there's anything that dims our light as much as our tongue can dim our light. 
Let nothing that come out of our mouth except words that please the Lord. Words of encouragement. Let's put away the words of detestability. Words that pull down people or tear down people. Words of gossip. You know, a, a, a couple of weeks ago, I, I got a pickup truck. Some of you have noticed this green pickup truck sitting in the driveway. It was my dad's. 20 years old. He decided to get him a new one. and He didn't want to do the trade-in where they don't give him anything. Instead, he just said, you want a, you want a truck? And if you work for the IRS, I paid for that, okay? Just want to say it like that. But you have no idea. There's been two or three people who've asked me, did somebody move in with y'all? Somebody actually asked me this. Did Jordan's boyfriend move in with y'all? What? 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 And I want to tell you, if there's two or three people asking me that, that means there's two or three hundred out there asking each other that same question, right? No, I'm just kidding. Listen, hopefully you just get a little laugh out of that. I didn't take it personal by any means. It's just kind of funny. Let's let our tongues bring glory to Christ. Let's not spread a rumor or a gossip. Let's watch what our tongues say. Let's consider our entertainment. Let's consider what we're watching on the TV, what we're going to the movie theater and watching what we use to entertain ourselves. And finally, I want, to, I want to encourage you this Christmas season to use social media wisely. Listen, I, I've seen people on Facebook tear down families, tear down people, tear down the church even. Let's use it wisely. Let's use it godly. Let's let our light shine for Jesus Christ on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is that you use. I want you to be encouraged to shine brightly like stars in the night. You know how those stars are, right? Have you ever made a statement like this? Wow, the stars sure are bright tonight. The, the stars sure are shining really well tonight. But you know what's funny is that the stars don't actually shine brighter. They're always the same. Even in daytime, when the sun is bright, the stars are still out there. We just can't see them because it's bright and light. The stars are really bright, though, because it is dark. You know, sometimes God puts us in a dark situation so that the stars will shine bright. I want to encourage you to be a bright, shining star this Christmas season. You may be surrounded by all kinds of darkness, maybe in your family, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your friends, maybe just your life seems dark. God has perhaps sovereignly put you there to be a bright, shining star of light for Jesus Christ in someone's life. Be that light. Be that light. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the light of revelation you were in our lives. Lord, if we have salvation, we have no one to thank but you. No one to thank but you. I mean, we can thank people that perhaps witness to us, and that's fine, but even they were put into our life by you. And so all of it goes back to you. Thank you for being light. Lord, would you help us to be light this morning? From this point forward, during this Christmas season, and then points after this Christmas season, Lord, would you lead us to be better light in our world, shining bright. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that's never surrendered to you as Lord and Savior, I pray this morning that they would make that decision and confess you as their Lord and Savior in faith coming to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for being in this place. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.